Welcome to USPCA Presents, where the largest association for personal chefs brings you speakers, topics, and a bit of fun in this nuanced part of the culinary industry. In this episode, USPCA President Larry Lynch talks with Strombeck Consulting CPAs, Scott Michael. Hey, USPCA members, it's Larry Lynch here again, and great to see everybody again tonight for one of our bi-weekly webinars, and tonight I'm really excited. Um, a couple minutes late because I was gabbing away with my, my good friend and our financial wizard, Scott Michael. For those who've been around for a while and remember our conference from a few years ago, uh, Scott did a few sessions for us on helping chefs kind of get their business together from a variety of financial models, and of course, now more than ever, we need information on what we're going to do to kind of see our ways through this pandemic. You know, Scott's been wonderful. I, I've been paying attention to him. Really, I think, Scott, you started this um, the day after the Senate passed the bill, before it made it to the House and before it went to the president for signature. And, and it's, it's funny in a weird way, because every time I hear Scott talking about it, there's another adjustment. So I don't think there's probably a bigger moving target right now than the CARES Act. But then there's everything that's going to be subsequent to the CARES Act as well. So um, we're excited. We've had a couple questions. Just as a quick uh, FYI for members, if you scroll down to the bottom of your screen, you're going to see an area that says Q&A. Um, I'm going to monitor that for Scott while he starts talking because you know, I'll tell you what, nobody can give you more information than Scott Michaels. So you read his introduction. But if you have questions, we only had two submitted to us prior to the conference or prior to the call. So feel free, push your questions through. I know Scott, we started off the other night with zero questions, and I think we had 30 by the time the webinar was over. So be prepared. Our members love to ask questions. So um, at this point, enough babbling from me. The expert's here. So, Scott, it's all yours. The members uh, are yours to talk to. Well, perfect. Well, uh, first of all, Larry, thank you for the invitation, and thank you for what you're doing in the uh, personal chef uh, industry, and uh, glad to be able to be part of this. Um, certainly this is a crazy time and every industry is a little bit unique and, um, but I would imagine that there are a few industries is impacted by all of this as, um, as the personal chef industry. And so, um, certainly want to talk through what is available in the CARES Act. I want to make sure that we're talking in terms of, uh, things that are relevant to you. So I do appreciate if, uh, if you have any specific questions. Uh, and Larry, I'll, I'll give you this as well, that uh, feel free to interrupt me. Um, if you want to jump in and say, hey, by the way, Scott, here's a question that just came up. Uh, that would be great. And we can toggle that back and forth. I'll definitely good, watch for them. Good thing about me. Well, this is a good news and a bad news. Bad thing about me is that I don't usually finish very many sentences with a period because I get bored of listening to me. Um, so that can get a little crazy, but uh, a good thing about me is I don't mind being interrupted. So, uh, and I really, really value your time and I want to make sure that we are not wasting a minute of anybody's time uh, and not addressing the topics that you care to, to be addressed. Okay. So let's get start. Um, and again, I'm just going to start with, uh, I have a couple bullet points that I just wanted to, to run through here, but again, with the key interest of what is important to you. So. Let's talk a little bit about the CARES Act. Um, the self-employed independent contractor space of the CARES Act is a bit uncharted. The reason is, is that first of all, the, the entire law has only been out 
for a little over, I guess, a week now. And so, um, and they've only been taking uh, applications since last Friday for the first round of the money. And the first round of the money came out for uh, small businesses that had employees. Uh, the second round of money that starts this Friday will be for independent contractors and for uh, those who file as a Schedule C on their uh, personal tax returns. And so I will tell you this is that there has been, because it is the Payroll Protection Act, our pay, Payroll Protection Program within the Act, it has been very, very much a focus of everybody to figure out how do we get money into the hands of the people who have employees. Now, I would imagine that on this call, there are some who uh, have businesses with employees, but then I would also imagine that there are some who would be businesses where you are the employee. And so now there's this question of what do we do? A um, couple of talking points on this. Of course, I prepare, I'm a CPA in a, in a tax firm um, that we prepare taxes and we give advice. And of course, our clients have always asked, how do we minimize our tax bill? And so we've always given advice consistent with that. Uh, in this environment, when you're going to present uh, your Schedule C, if that's how you file your tax returns within your personal tax return, you have a what's called a, a sole proprietor uh, Schedule C that just says, here's how much you've had come in, here's how much your expenses are, and here's how much you are gonna pay uh, taxes on. Your goal is largely to, to minimize that. Because that's the case, now when it comes time and says, hey, we uh, can actually get some money back based on the number that we have there, there can be a little bit of disgruntlement. I just came off of a phone call. I, I serve on a ministry that is involved with poverty alleviation. And in that, in that space, there are a lot of folks who are um, cash-based uh, businesses who don't file tax returns, it's very ad hoc. And um, you know they're saying, how, how are we gonna get help because they can't go file for unemployment. They can't uh, get their, um, uh, you know, submit their tax returns because they don't show a lot of income. So here we go. I have a chat, which probably means we have a question. All right. Okay, switch over to Q&A, Scott, because I'll read the question to you to make it easier. Oh, okay. Walter, Chef Walter says, I have an LLC with only me as the owner, no employees, and I opened in March 2019. Am I eligible? Yes. So here's the deal is that you are in that subset of people where uh, filing a tax return is going to be in your best interest right now, which is again, it's circular because you need to, you know, depending on how much income you're going to show on your LLC will, you will trigger a tax burden. Um, albeit you don't owe it. You don't have to pay that tax until July and, and you can be, um, borrowing that. This is, a, this is a good, let's just talk through this. We'll use this as a little bit of a case study, okay? So if you, um, if you are an individual and this is the only income that you're going to be showing, uh, is going to be an entirely different dynamic than if, uh, for instance, I think your name was uh, Walter. Okay, so Walter, if you are married and your spouse uh, is making money and you have this on top of it, and now you go and you file your return. The, the question will be a matter of timing. Do you want to file that return so that you can then submit it with your bank 
to get um, effectively 20% because it's, it's two and a half times one month. So I think if you do that math, it ends up being about 20%. Um, <laughs> I probably should have really double checked that, but I'm pretty sure because one out of 12 would be about eight times two and a half. It's about 20%. So 20% is what you're going to get. And the question that we do not know right now is this. If you receive a 1099, then you could take your 1099 and possibly get paid off of that. We're not sure whether they're going to pay you off of the 1099s that you received or if you're going to get paid off of your net. So 1099s are your gross. Let's say you received $60,000 or $400,000, whatever it is, but you get 1099s. It will not be more than $100,000. So that we, can, we know that for sure. So the absolute most that you could get if you had received a hundred thousand or you showed a hundred thousand dollars of income would be probably uh, twenty thousand dollars, which is good and uh, a lot better than zero. Especially because, and this is so important with PPP, that everybody knows that you get it forgiven if you use it in the same way that you had used it before. Which, again, if you're a sole proprietor, uh, you will use it the same way. You're gonna live off of it. And so that is a $20,000 tax-free gift if you had made $100,000 in the previous year. What we do not know 100% for sure is, are they going to go off of the top line, which is your 1099, or are they going to go off of the bottom line, which would be on your personal tax return? Okay. So to your answer your question, you, answer, you started March of 2019. Are you eligible? You absolutely are eligible. The question will be is, do you need to file a tax return in order to have the documentation necessary to be able to, um, to get that money? Now, if on the flip side, you made $20,000 and you know 20% of 20,000 is $4,000 and you're gonna have to pay um, self-employment tax of 15% plus income tax on top of that, you might find yourself in a situation where uh, you're you know, filing that tax return will trigger some money that comes back from the government, but then will also trigger a scenario where you're going to owe. Now, that being said, the borrowing rate from the government for taxes not paid is about 10%, uh, 10 to 12%, call it a 1% a month. So from a timing difference, if things are very tight, which I might as well address it from that standpoint, if things are very tight, you could prepare the return, file it, and have an, an outstanding amount that you would only be, you know, so let's say on that return, you might owe, if you're going to make $30,000 or $20,000, you may owe um, $6,000, but that will allow you to get $4,000 tax-free. And then if you don't have, you don't have to use that $4,000 to pay your $6,000, you can um, just be cost, it would cost you about $60 a month to be carrying that forward. So I feel a little bit like I'm throwing a lot of numbers around really quick, which uh, for some folks, that's okay. For other folks, it sounds like I'm saying purple, purple, purple. So I appreciate that. And so we can spend a little bit of time digging into any of these pieces that are uh, worth digging into. So okay. I'm thinking, and Scott, I'll go ahead and monitor for you because we're kind of skipping between chat and the Q&A. Question came up in chat. Said you said monies for, and by the way, you know we'll have a chance to. Have, I think some of these questions will dig deeper into some of the things you're talking about too, which is good. Okay. Um, but one of the questions said you said monies for the independent contractors with no employees is released 
this Friday. Uh, so what if I submitted my application last week? Uh, <laughs> probably okay. Everything that we've seen so far is that the application is basically the same. And what we've seen is that there's been quite a bottleneck in the processing of applications and getting them submitted to the SBA. So uh, if you got it submitted, uh, probably by the time it makes it to wherever it needs to make, you'll be in good shape. So this is one, and there's another question related to loan versus the uh, grant, for want of a better term. So here's the question. My landlady is pushing me to apply for the $10,000 quote unquote free money so I can pay the rent. A friend, not sure of her financial circumstances, who applied for that mysterious grant associated with, associated with the SBA loans. She was denied and found her credit score fell by 30 points. I am hesitant to apply for a loan in order to potentially qualify for the free $10,000 grant. My sense is that I wish not to add to my debt load, nor do I care to expose my business to extraordinary scrutiny. Just saying, is there anything you might want to help on that one? Yeah, I think the, number one, it's very well uh, presented. Thanks for all the details there. The And again, we are living in a world right now of a lot of uh, telegraph game. Remember when we were kids and they would start with a sentence and we'd try to pass it through the whole classroom and it never really made it quite all the way there. And so some of these pieces that you're hearing in terms of someone being denied and credit score falling by 30 points and so forth, um, I just, I, I'm not questioning the integrity of that person. I am questioning if there were any other facts involved that caused that to happen. You know, certainly getting your credit pulled would not cause it to fall that much. And for all intents and purposes, especially with this PPP money, there is no personal component to it. Literally, as you're applying for it, you're applying in the name of your business and you are authorizing and just saying that you are in a position to be able to um, make decisions on behalf of the business, but it's not in your own personal name. So uh, that is something that I, it is just so different. Now, some of these other, loans and I and this is one thing that I apologize that I don't know the answer to this but what I do know is this is that there has always been within the SBA something called the disaster loans that's where you see like the EIDL and some of those things those have always existed those are the ones that have the ten thousand dollars express money um, and those historically have come with a heavy uh, burden regarding collateral where they would come collateralize everything that they can put their hands on they can collateralize and the SBA has always been a, what we would refer to as a lender of last resort uh, where you you would try everything else first because they were so onerous not only in their collateralization which is you know what they attach to and say you cannot sell or do anything with this until you've paid us off but also in, with respect to the way that they um, uh, handle all of the paperwork associated with it. It was just owners. So this PPP program is none of that. I mean, it is the exact opposite. It's literally the government trying to get money out into the hands of uh, the rank and file and the employees and the, those who are uh, doing all the work uh, as quick as possible through the channels that, that already exist. So, um, so in terms of having her, uh, Credit hit 30 points, if that's a concern, I would not be concerned about that, if, especially with the PPP program. And then in terms of getting scrutiny of your business, uh, you know, with your tax returns and stuff, 
again, this is just, um, the good news is, is this, is that depending on the size of your business, uh, likely the IRS is not going to be more interested in auditing you as a result of, of applying for any loans and any of the documentation that you submit. Uh, they're just trying to get this processed and out the door. I don't think there's going to be a lot of cross, um, what we call cross-agency communication on this to say, hey, well, let's, let's find this person or that person. I don't think that's going to be a concern. Cool. Let me, I'm going to combine a couple of the chat questions for you. So this yes, is a yes. follow-up question. I'm going to tie it to another question that's in here. It says, so is there actually a $10,000 grant? I thought there was a $10,000 advance, advance of the loan. And then the question kind of ties to that is, is the economic injury disaster loan the best option uh, for those operating a sole proprietorship? And please explain the loan versus the grant. Perfect. Thank you. So they're all alone. Okay. So they're all alone. Uh, they're all alone. So sad. <laughs> they're all, there are all uh, types of loans. The issue is this, is that the loans associated with the PPP, the payroll protection program that can be driven not only for those who have employees and payroll, but also those who are self-employed or uh, contractors. Um, that has a component within it that you can receive forgiveness if you spend the money that you receive as a, as a loan in a certain way within eight months. Now, the thing that's unique about this is, is this, for a small business who has a lot of employees, they're gonna be held accountable to spend 75% of that in payroll related expenses. For, a, for an independent contractor, this is the part that I'm a little confused on, and it's not as much a matter of confused on, it's just there's going to be so much developing over the next few weeks, and here's why. Up until now, all of the attention of the uh, uh, Washington, D.C., okay? So let me back up for a second. So whenever legislation passes, there's then this process that it goes through because they're just throwing that stuff together as fast as they can, and it's amazing how much detail they get into it. I mean, it's done with very, very intelligent people and very big law firms, just putting all of this stuff together. Yet they're, they're people in law firms and, and within a tight constraint. And so then over the next, usually it's months, all of the details of that program are vetted out and the processes and the regulations and the, and the guidance is put together. In this scenario, because of the the nature of the emergency, they are doing it in days instead of months, which is, is very impressive to watch, but it's also very frustrating. That being said, all of those little nuances that have to get tweaked and ironed out, all of the energies have been focused on how do we determine how much money can be sent out, okay? So in the process of that money getting sent out, they now have to have a second conversation that says, okay, the money's out, now how are we gonna forgive it? And so we're gonna see a lot of, uh, of change in that space and, and there's gonna be a lot of dynamics um, moving on there. So when I say, I apologize, I don't know exactly how that's gonna be forgiven and how that looks in a space with independent contractors in um, Schedule C, but there's a good chance that if everything is the way it was in 20, is the way it was in 19, it may be very well forgiven, but it's just a lot of that guidance has just not come out yet. And Larry, by the way, 
feel free to interrupt me because I understand we do have a time constraint and we're 26 minutes in here. So to the extent that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm watching it. We're, we're in pretty good shape at this point. So I'm okay. going to try and throw you, I was going to throw you a couple of softballs here real quick. Um, <laughs> first one. one's coming out of the Q and a from our friend, chef, Kevin Marshall. What if I already filed my taxes this year? Yeah. So, uh, it shouldn't make a difference it, to the extent. Now, the only thing would be is if you're like, mm, if I had known I was going to get 20% free money, I might've shown that I made a little bit more than so be it. Um, but for the most part, what you filed is what you filed. Uh, and again, the biggest question would be, and my guess is, is that within the personal chef business, because a lot of times the, the work that you're doing, I understand that some of it would be in the corporate setting where somebody is getting a, a business write off, but then I would imagine a lot of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, but a lot of it is just uh, individual residential scenarios where they're not issuing you 1099s and you're just determining how much you're going to put on your, your revenue line. Uh, that will be, again, another big question. And, and the question is, is are they going to pay uh, money out on the top line or on the bottom line? And it could be, there's a chance that it could be that they would count the top line up to $100,000. That would certainly be uh, super exciting for, uh, for the independent contractor space. Uh, again, I just don't know if that's the case. I'm going to throw you a, a follow-up to that one, and then one more softball after that. There's so that much wasn't more to really go. Soft, buddy. To <laughs> well, this one, so, like, I've struck out in softball, so help me out here, brother. No, all right. I'll, 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 throw, you, I'll throw you the Hail Mary. All right. um, awesome. In, in this particular case, same kind of situation. This is one of our members who filed their tax return already. The, she had startup costs in her business last year. She launched in the fourth quarter of 2019. Does she still qualify for the loan? That's a really good question. And so the, so late startups will get to include, at least this is how it was with businesses and their uh, employees, was that if you started after some point in 2019, you actually get to count uh, your January and February and use that as your average monthly uh, revenue. So again, that might be something that we're gonna see uh, along the same, uh, the same deal. Uh, before I switch over to chat, this is a, this is the easy one. This is from our friend, Chef Susan Yetterberg. Which is the name of the new law that's effective Friday? Is, are you still referring to PPP? Great. It is. It is the P, still the PPP. Um, it's just the second level. So the first one was for employers. And then now this next round is going to be for um, uh, not, only, not only for just employers, but also for their um, uh for the independent contractors and Schedule C's. Okay, um, so this is one from 2016 to 2018. I was a I was part time in the personal chef business. I left corporate America in February 2019, and had many write off expenses in 19 uh, not filled. I filed single sole proprietor Schedule C, no W two or 1099 income for 2019. Can I apply and possibly receive support? Yeah. So if I'm understanding what you mean by a lot of startup costs that you did file a Schedule C, yet it may not have necessarily been one with a lot of profit on the bottom line. That again, and I apologize that I do not know this answer just because the, the, it, so far it's been that it's gonna use the same form and it's gonna be this you know, framework, but it will require a bank. That's one thing I do wanna make sure that we talk about here is that regard, 
regardless of all these dynamics, it ultimately comes down to an underwriting exercise at a bank. And so you are going to want to visit your bank and find out what they're doing. I will tell you on the employer phase, which launched last Friday, there's quite a disparity even amongst the bank community in terms of how they're interpreting some of these, these rules. And so perfect case, perfect universe would be they look at your top line that you filed and said, hey, I made this much, you know, I received this much and they count that as your uh, number. Uh, but worst case would be that they look at your bottom line and if, if you didn't make anything, you didn't make any money, that you're not gonna be able to receive anything. So I'm rooting for the best case scenario. Cool. This is, a, this is a little bit longer question, lots of detail. So I applied for my loan today. I stipulated that 75% would be allocated for payroll and the remaining 25% for rent. My question is, am I required to pay out all the money in the eight weeks following the receipt of the funds? My payroll and rent costs vary weekly depending on how many clients we cook for. It's possible that I would not owe my employees or my lease or uh, the full amount in eight weeks. What happens if I take longer to spend the money? Great question uh, for two reasons. One, one of which you know uh, the reason, one of which probably was not on your radar but is super critical. So the eight weeks begins with the origination of your loan. So kudos to you for getting it in and, and submitting it. Uh, what you're going to want to do is time the, uh, the origination, which will be this. Okay, so we talked a little bit about you turn in your application. It goes through a bank process. Then it gets sent to the SBA. Then the SBA approves it. And then it comes back and says, here's the documents that the, uh, that the person needs to sign. Okay. At that point, when you sign it, is the origination of the loan, okay? And then it'll be funded a few days later. In that process, that's what you're going to want to time. And let me give you two examples to, to help you kind of say, okay, this is how we would want to time it. So you don't want to time the application. You want to time the origination. Is that, Larry, am I clear on the distinction between applying? Apply now, but try to have the origination date dictated based on this next uh, scenario. You ready? Right. right. Okay. All right. So here's the deal. If you, uh, for clients that are dentists, no dentists here, but I want to give you the example. So you understand a dentist is not legally allowed to work on somebody right now, except for, you know, an emergency, which is not the primary role of dentists, right? It's not what they make their money off of. So they're literally shut down. They're, they're shuttered. If they were to originate a loan today, they have to spend, in the, in the words of the question, the, the question, which is valuable, is they have to spend 75% of that money on payroll within that eight weeks, okay? If they originate it today and they're totally shut down, they're just going to be blowing eight weeks worth of payroll. Everybody on the same page? All right? If instead they say, okay, look, April 30th, we're shut down through April 30th for sure. Of course, there's the word on the street that that may get extended, but let's hope not, all right? But if they can push that off all the way until they hear, yeah, we're ready to roll again, you can imagine the pent-up demand that they're going to have. Now they could actually be working overtime and be burning through all of that payroll at that time when otherwise they would have lost all of that ability to get that forgiven. Does that make sense regarding the timing? Or what was it that does to me. Okay. If not, obviously everybody can kind of give feedback and chat if we need to. So yeah, please do. If, if that wasn't clear, because the timing is huge. 
So that was, that was one part of it and probably not the reason you were asking. The other part of it, um, and let me repeat the question real quick because the other part of it was, was just as important in terms of the back seven to, Go back to chat here and get that back up. So you do have eight weeks. That, uh, I know it is now. I'm sorry. Okay. So you need to spend uh, that 75% in the eight weeks um, in order to have it be forgiven. To the extent that you're not able to do that, then it does convert to a, a loan with a two-year amortization at 1% which is still great. Um, and what I don't know is to the extent that there is a bit of a sliding scale on that, that if you don't spend all 75%, but you spend a certain amount and you hit some of these other things as far as the number of uh, full-time employees that you have as of um, June 30, full-time equivalent, as of June 30th, some of those will come into play too. So. I would expect that, Larry, you might invite me back and we'll talk about forgiveness on a, a subsequent call. I think it's probably a good idea because this is going to continuously morph. Um, sticking in the Q&A, we have one. It's I already, let me make sure I got this one right. Yeah. I started my business in January 2019. I have yet to pay myself, but plan to mid-year. Do I qualify? And if so, what documentation would I need? Okay. One more time on that one. Let me go back. So I, I, whoops, we'll scroll back. I started my business in January, 2019. I have yet to pay myself, but plan to mid-year. Do I qualify? And if so, what documentation would I need? Great question. Um, so basically what it's gonna be is, uh, again, a function probably of your tax return. So in order to qualify, you're probably gonna need to file a tax return, unless you did work for a company or somebody that gave you 1099s in which case you might be able to just present 1099s and not a tax return. Uh, again, that's what we're kind of gonna be learning here in short order. Okay, Elizabeth actually had a follow-up to her question about um, the eight weeks. So I must, so she's saying, I must spend it all in eight weeks, question mark. So I will give my employees more money than they're earned and my leaseor uh, more money than I owe. And I, I'm not sure that, I don't think that's what you said though. No, 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 but I, and I appreciate you giving me a second shot at that one uh, to answer that. So the deal is, is that, again, the timing is critical so that you push it out until you, you're more comfortable that you are going to be busy. In terms of um, paying people, this is where, again, and this is important too, if you have people that are working for you that are um, earning less than 30 thousand dollars a year and they're not getting health insurance and all of those types of things because of a, another part of the legislation included the unemployment uh, buffer where they're putting an extra six hundred dollars a week into the unemployment you're actually going to be in potentially a better place for your employees to let them go which is very strange and and um, there's a whole lot of political ramifications of that but the reality is, is that might be the way to go if you're kind of just trying to hold on. Again, what I would encourage you to do is try to manipulate the, um, the origination date so that it all lines up a little bit better with, with the uh, expected reality that as time goes on, we're probably going to get back to business uh, at a more full tilt level than now. And so I would guess that that's the case for your industry. Just like I said, with the dentist, it's super clear 
but even in your industry, I would expect that that's something that, uh, you know, as we get into the summer and we get out of this, the, the harshest phase, um, you, you probably will see more business. But again, that's then travel time and everything else. So that is something that you will want to just kind of talk through what timing you want there. Cool. Lots of questions still coming. So we'll keep it rolling here. Okay. Um, Kathleen asks, we are an LLP, two partners, no employees. Is the PPP the way to go to make up gap in income? Uh, we are getting a little income from some gracious clients who are still paying and some menu planning, but not nearly what we normally make, you know, maybe a quarter of that. Two things. So is it okay to make some income and still get PPP? And also we submit a schedule K. Does that make a difference? Yes. So you will, I would imagine when you say schedule K, I would imagine that you're saying you get a, a K1 instead of a schedule C. I believe that that'll be fine. Um, again, on your tax return, you're going to be showing that you're paying payroll taxes on that coming out of an LLP. And so um, it should, this is what it's meant for is to, to take care of you. You are an employee of your partnership. And to the extent that you've been showing income on your 2019 return, I believe you'll have a, 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 a participation opportunity with the PPP. So Scott, this one's a little bit longer one and, and we may want to give some resources for it, but it says, please walk us through the steps for an independent contractor. What information will we need to complete the application and send it in with the application? And is there a minimum income required per month to qualify? Okay. Great question. And no, we can handle this. So again, I expect that you have a bank that you're doing your business banking with. And of course, you're probably not the largest uh, volume uh, with them. And so that's the issue that we're dealing with right now is just trying to get the attention of the bankers. When a lot of times the banks are even closed and it's hard to even get a, uh, a hand <laughs> a face in front of somebody. So, but here's what it will take is you do, you will need to have a banker. Now, here's the other thing that I am seeing and you guys are probably, if anybody uses QuickBooks or any of that, QuickBooks is sending out a lot of stuff about uh, improving their uh, capacity to help uh, get the forms together. My expectation is that they'll have some partners because the word on the street is, is that there's gonna be third party vendors outside of uh, bank accounts that will be able to help with this. So when I'm, having this conversation, one of the things that I always want to reach out to is get with somebody bigger. What I mean by that is this, is that if you bank at a certain bank and you know somebody, perhaps one of your clients is somebody and you found out about this bank through them, or you have a relative that is part of a big company and, or, or a bigger uh, small business uh, who has a relationship with the bank that, where you bank, you're gonna wanna bring as much clout to the party as you can, only because of this, is you've gotta get that application filled out. And so to your point, what is the information that's gonna be necessary? I will tell you, I've done this with probably 35 different clients right now, and I've seen, uh, fortunately, they don't all bank at 35 different banks, but they probably bank at about 15 different banks, and each of those banks' processes are a little bit different, the data that they ask for, the backup, and so forth. So as we go into this next phase with the, um, uh, in fact, in preparation for tonight, I contacted two bank underwriters and I was like, 
what is it going to look like for the independent contractors, for the Schedule C people? And they're like, Scott, we are so buried trying to take care of the folks that we're, that we're trying to get out the door. We haven't even had a chance to, to focus on this next round. And so I only relay this to say, try to get with somebody because I know that I can call a banker and get pretty good feedback, not because they like me or care about me, uh, but because they like my clients and they care about my clients. And so that's all I would say is just try to try to join a cabal, so to speak, and be, be grouped with somebody so that you have at least somebody to help get that paperwork through, okay? And you are likable, so let, let's face that back. It's okay. Um, <laughs> we also had a question, Chef Allison, who said, I'm sorry if I missed this topic, so maybe it's a good little refresh for some people who came in late, but she said, sorry if I missed this topic. I came in at 8.15. What's the difference between the economic injury 10K loan and the payment protection? So maybe a quick recap of that while we have some time. Great. So the economic injury 10K loan has no capacity for forgiveness. Uh, it is simply that it's a loan and it's the same uh, economic injury loans that have been out for, they're called economic and uh, disaster uh, injury loans, EIDLs, economic injury disaster loans. And so the, those have been around forever. Whenever hurricanes come through or tornadoes or any natural disaster, that's what those are there for. And again, it is something that it is like our family business, our family farm, we're going to lose it if we don't get this money. And yet, if we can just make it through this time, then we'll be glad to pay you back. And the SBA comes in and like a, a nice big brother who doesn't know you or care about you, uh, puts you in the closet and says, here's your money, but make sure I get it back. <laughs> so that's, that's what the 10,000 the 10, EIDL is. It's there. It's necessary uh, for some situations, but the PPP is uh, something I don't think we've ever had it like that where it literally can be forgiven. So, and it's forgiven it tax free. So in the scenario we were talking about earlier where you had $20,000 that you can represent either through on your schedule C or through 1099s and, and they will give you $4,000. You literally have the chance to have that $4,000 free and clear with no tax or anything else. So the PPP is, is a, uh, an animal unto its own. Um, but in certain situations that won't be enough because of loss of business and so forth. And so the EIDL, uh, is necessary. Now my, my take is this, we'll see. That's the reality is we'll see if everything kind of has peaked and starts settling out. Um, then the PPP will be the deal. It'll be eight, you know, two months. And, and this is one thing that's super important. It's two, everybody says it's your payroll or whatever times two and a half. It's because it's for two months plus 25% for each of those two months is what the other half is about. So all in all, two and a half times uh, is what that's going to take care of you for. All right. Good. So Chef Dara says, uh, my question is, since none of my clients issue me a 1099, am I just showing my P&L? You know, I haven't filed yet for 2019, so I'm just taking my anticipated P&L. Yeah, and that's, again, because the, the tax deadline got shoved back, there's not necessarily the tax requirement to file your P&L. What I'll be interested to see is 
will banks accept a 2018 tax return or will they require in lieu of, some people do have 1099s from 2019. In your case, if you don't have 1099s from any of your clients, which I would expect is probably pretty, pretty common in uh, personal chef space, then you're going to be in a space where uh, filing um, your tax return may be necessary in order to have a document that you can present that will uh, allow you to, to get again. And it works out to be 20% of whatever that bottom line is, is what I believe it'll be. And this may be a, a similar question, Scott, but a little, a little different. It says, what if we don't pay ourselves via W-2? I've always just given myself a little money each week out of my account. Yeah. Again, so that money that you've given yourself each week out of your account, certainly, if you went to the little presentation that I did at the USPCA uh, conference a few years ago, you would know I would say, hey, make sure you're reimbursing yourself for all of those expenses first and foremost. But beyond that, whatever is showing up on your what's called schedule C on your personal tax return for your business, whatever shows up at the bottom of that is effectively what you're paying yourself. So I had a couple of people raise questions, raise their hands, but I can't find their questions. So I'm going to see if I can get those questions for them. Um, let me dig through here, Scott. So it's the fun of everything, fun of live TV. <laughs> well, hey, why don't you do that? I'm going to tell a story. All right. So when you, Put in your applications. Here's what's going to happen is it's going to go into this big hole. And it reminds me of there was this two kids that they were out walking around. I'm sure they were six feet apart in this day and age. And they were, and they came across this hole and they were blown away at how deep this hole was. They could, they couldn't even see the bottom. So they grabbed a handful of stones and they threw it in and they were listening to see how far it went down. They never heard them. They're like, my gosh, this is the deepest hole we've ever seen. So then they went and grab a, a big rock and they, heave this thing over and they launch that in and they're listening, nothing. I mean, they're like, wow. And of course you imagine two little farm kids out in rural America, just blown away at, at this find that they have. So then they look around, they, they need to find something bigger and, and uh, they spot a railroad tie. And so they're like, they're not that big, but they're like, I think we can do this. So they get on both ends of this railroad tie and they just drag this thing over and they heave it in and they're listening. They're listening as they're listening. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, this, this uh, donkey comes just rumbling, tumbling all over itself and dump, jumps into the hole. And they are like, wow, what was that that we just saw? They're sitting there kind of talking about it, reflecting on it. A little while later, a, uh, an old farmer comes by and he says, boys, have you happened to see my, my donkey? And they're like, my goodness, that's amazing you would ask. He said, this thing came rumbling, tumbling and jumped into this big hole. The guy said... Now that wouldn't have been my donkey. My donkey was tied to a railroad tie. <laughs> so as you are putting in your applications into this big hole, hopefully you don't lose your donkey. Here we go. Reminder that we have missed your jokes at Rotary every Wednesday. <laughs> well, Larry, that'll, that'll teach you to make sure you never have to find a question again. Here we go. There you go. We... Okay, you ready? Yes. So here's one. Any options for someone wanting a loan to revamp and or grow your business by changing or offering new services. For example, switching from in-home classes to online classes and use the funds to purchase equipment and software to support the online realm. Yeah, so then that goes back to the more traditional SBA. So, you know, a bank will look at a situation like that and they'll be like, 
and you'll tell them the story and they'll get all excited and they'll be like, oh, we love that idea. In the back of their mind, they're like, oh, great, I'm going to get to make a loan, right? And they're going to be like, oh, tell us about, you know, do you have equity in your house? Do you have this? Do you have that? They're just thinking, how are they going to collateralize this loan so that they can sell it to the bank and then sell it, give you the money and they make some money, right? That's kind of how traditional banking works. The, the SBA was created to do what the, what the banks wouldn't do on their own. And so the, there are a lot of what, what are called like um, uh, executive or express, express SBA loans for things like that. So you put together a package, you go to a bank that's an SBA lender, the SBA agrees to it, they underwrite it for 90% of it, and you're off and running. So, but again, understand that there, it's very, typically it's very onerous, uh, and it's, but it's for these types of purposes. So Express SBA lending will always have a role in helping businesses be started. That is the SBA, the Small Business Administration. So that's, that's its role. Um, and so that would be uh, a conversation to be had under any circumstances, any times, uh, not, not unique to this scenario. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So question, one thing out there real quick, um, Chef Carla Freeman has raised her hand a couple of times. I can't find your question, Carla. So if you could submit it either in chat or in the Q&A and, and Scott will get to it. But um, another one that came up is, can a person get both the PPP and an eco-injury loan? Yes, great, great question. So the answer is no. <laughs> yes is the, that's a good question, but no, you can't. So here's what'll happen though, is that it's a sequencing thing, right? As I mentioned, the PPP can be forgiven. So there is a chance that it will be straight free money, tax free. The flip side with an EIDL, it doesn't have that component to it. So what everyone is doing is do you do the PPP first? Once that is spent and once it's submitted and forgiven, it's either forgiven or turned into a, a two year loan at 1%. At that point, then you can get the EIDL. And there'll be some conversation if this extends and broadens in, in length and, and uh, the, the financial impact of COVID extends beyond this two or three month period, there'll be a lot of dialogue on that is the sequencing of then applying for the EIDL, what do you have to present, blah, blah, blah. I do believe though, if that happens, what will likely happen is now that all of this infrastructure has been built for the, um, for the PPP is that they'll probably uh, have a mechanism where they extend that for another four weeks and another four weeks, et cetera. So, all right. So I'm gonna throw a question in there and we may have answered it already, but it came in via email to Rob and so I just wanna pass it along. Um, and so if we answered it, remind me, cause I'm getting old and senile anymore. But can we get paid for not going to our clients for six weeks? We don't use 1099s. What do we need to do? Um, again, that's going to be probably a function of your Schedule C on your tax return. Okay, cool. So it looks like as I'm going through, we have exhausted the questions, but I had the feeling that, and I'll come back on here, I, I had the feeling, Scott, that over the course of the next few weeks, we're not going to exhaust the topic huh. that um, Congress and, and the President and the administration is going to be looking at this closely. I, I keep hearing rumors, and so... You know, we could certainly ask you back at some point in time as we get some more clarity and probably a little bit more confusion as Congress does more. That would be absolutely awesome. 
Absolutely. And let Rob know as he gets questions, you know, I'd love to, maybe we can throw together an FAQ or something like that that you can just shoot out as well. So. That'd be great. That'd be great. But, you know, for all of our members, um, you know, we're, this will be uh, redone by Rob as he always does. And we'll get it out to the membership. It'll be on the website so you can review it. But I would say, Scott, if you will agree, this is going to be a, a changing topic. So hopefully tonight we address the answers of our members for where this program is today. Um, you know, where it will be next week is who knows, but we'll certainly keep on it. With Scott's help and others, we'll make sure we're answering your questions. Um, but as we've said for the last few weeks, we're here for you. Oh, we just had chat pop up here. So let's see. Oh, Michael Schwartz, thank you. So, and Susan Yetterberg. So we're getting some thank yous. And so, you know, I thank all of you. You know, we, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the membership of USPCA. So great group. Scott's always been a phenomenal partner of ours and, and friend and and uh, we've had a chance to work closely together for the year. So I don't know any way that gives better advice. And he's always on it. And I know personally that he has worked tirelessly since this all started. So uh, I appreciate him. He had another engagement tonight that he rushed back to to make it back for us for 8 o'clock. And so I apologize. It was my fault. We were a little bit late. But I was gabbing away with him and realized we were slightly after 8 o'clock. So it's the thing that I do. But, uh, Scott, I thank you. And... Uh, Appreciate all that you do for us. It, it makes a big, big difference. And uh, if we get some questions, we'll push them back your way. Rob will get them. Uh, again, for the members, we'll have this back out to everybody. Uh, Thursday night, 6.30, we have Chef Monica Thomas. She's going to be talking to us about some real rudimentary things you can be doing in your business today. If you're not ready to take that giant leap, are there things you can be doing in your personal chef business today to keep it going in this crazy times of COVID-19? So keep watching. We're going to keep sharing with you. And uh, until Thursday or until my next email, we'll see you all. And Scott, I'll see you here soon, somewhere. Thank you, Larry. And uh, again, uh, prayers for all of y'all as you're going through this very, very crazy time. So, Cool. Good night, everybody. Thanks all right. again. All right. Take care. Yep. Thanks for joining us and be sure to check out the show notes on where to learn more about Scott Michael and Strombeck Consulting CPAs. Thanks again and happy cooking.